Light beer, dark money. Agree on something. Politics, culture, and the intersection of faith, freedom, and free enterprise. And now, live from the Star Worldwide Network Studios, here are your hosts, Light Beer, Chris Clements, and Dark Money, Sean Noble. Welcome back to another episode of Light Beer, Dark Money. I'm Sean Noble. And I'm Chris Clements. And we've got a Amazing guest. We, we have a one-of-a-kind guest on today. This, I'm super excited who about is, this. Who is there, a witness to history, really. Yeah. yeah. My favorite president. My favorite president. Well, mine, mine first. Mine first. <laughs> <laughs> Give us an intro. Well, um, Peggy Granny was the executive assistant to President Ronald Reagan from 1989 to 1999 for 10 years. And she is the author of the book, The President Will See You Now, My Stories and Lessons from Ronald Reagan's Final Years. And she's here to, oh gosh, share some, some wit and wisdom about our favorite president. favorite president of all time. The man who really defined our, our, our wanting to be involved in politics. Everything that we, we've done politically over the last 40-something years is defined by one man, I would say. I mean, several, but really the overreaching person was ronald reagan 100 percent, yeah 100 percent. and the fact that you you were there you were working in that office makes me insanely jealous <laughs> hanging out with you know the man uh yeah pretty much jealous all the time yeah so, so peggy that had to be a pretty amazing experience and and maybe it didn't seem as amazing at the time and maybe it's more amazing as you look back i don't know you, you tell me well, thank you both for having me on today. And I will echo you in saying he was my favorite president, too, and somebody that I had followed um, as a young child, really, because I when he was president, it was kind of my junior high, high school, college years. And uh, politics at that time was, I guess, just sort of a hobby, something I paid attention to. I was born and raised in Southern California, a million miles from Washington, D.C. It might as well have been. Uh, my family was not politically connected or involved particularly, but politics and the presidency and the White House and presidents and first ladies was always just kind of a fascination of mine. So fast forward to college, Ronald Reagan um, is in the White House. I decide not to even study politics because what are the chances, especially of a woman at back in that day going into politics? But I studied communications and the great communicator in the White House was the convergence of everything I loved. He was a man of faith and principle and conservative values and leadership and inspiration. And you probably both remember when he spoke from the Oval Office and looked through the lens of the camera and came into your living room on one of the three dial channels on your big TV. Um, You felt like he was talking just to you and you felt like it was almost a personal call to action. And so that really resonated with me, but I never thought even at that time that I would ever have a chance to meet him, let alone spend 10 years by his side. So how did that happen? That Because that is a, a remarkable thing. It, it's, it's not easy to break into something like that, especially if you're just right out of college. 
Right. Well, as a person of faith, I believe that God has a plan for everything. And so certainly God had a plan for plucking me from obscurity and dropping me at the feet of greatness. And I do feel like the luckiest woman in the world to have had the opportunity of a lifetime to serve and know and work alongside this man for the decade of his life after the White House. So he left the White House in 1989. Um, I started working for him that summer and stayed with him until 1999 when he left the public eye. But like I said, I was just a college student and my dad raised me to believe that somebody's got to have the job you want and it might as well be you. So I took a chance my senior year at Pepperdine University, wrote a letter to the office of Ronald Reagan. Um, he had just opened an office right down the PCH from where I was finishing school. And I thought of my dad's words and thought, well, if somebody's got to work there, maybe it could be me. And so I went in for an interview uh, thought it was the most exciting moment of my life, regardless of what happened. Never expected to be hired, but was hired basically on the spot for what I thought would be a short-term internship. At the end of my internship, the woman who had hired me returned to Washington, D.C. They asked me to take her job. So I served as the executive assistant to um, the chief of staff for a couple of years. And then Ronald Reagan's longtime executive assistant he had had since before he was governor, retired. And they asked me to take that job. And so you don't say no to a job opportunity like yeah. that, although I was young and green and probably way over my skis and wasn't quite sure um, how I was going to navigate all of that. I was six months pregnant with my first baby, not oh quite sure how life was going to work out like that, but um, was able to spend the next 10 years of my life alongside serving that incredible man. And I can tell you from having worked closely with him, everything you thought and hoped he was, he was that and probably even more and better. Yeah. I, I can only imagine. <clears throat> well, the, uh, I, I was just remembering, I mean, she, and she made a great reference. I mean, how, you know, when, when it was announced that Ronald Reagan was going, the president was going to speak, you know, address the nation. It was appointment, you know, material. It was, oh yeah. everyone stopped what they're doing and said, oh, the president's going to speak from the overall office. And you can remember that all of office just seemed, being, you know, seemed so big and resolute and, and he would sit behind it and, and, Whenever he spoke, people listen. I mean, compare that to what we have now. Yeah. I mean, well, <laughs> well and it seems like that's the standard, right? Right. He had a beautiful way of communicating. He didn't talk above people or beneath people. He talked right to people and he made us feel valued and heard. And he made it feel like he was speaking directly to us rather than just lecturing America. And so he just had this incredible way of communicating with people. And whether it was from the Oval Office into our living rooms or one-on-one, -on -one, I saw people time after time come in and have their opportunity to meet Ronald Reagan. And it didn't matter whether they were king of a country or somebody who worked in the building, maybe cleaning his office after hours. He treated everybody with equal respect and would look them in the eye and make them feel seen and valued and important because they were. Yeah. He, he just really epitomizes or epitomized what it means to be a, just a quality human being. And that's so rare in politics, but even more rare today it's, in politics. I mean, it, 
He, I, would, he would be appalled what was happening. Can't even so. imagine. Well, well we, maybe some of it comes from his connection to real people. You know, he's one of a few presidents that grew up dirt poor. He grew up in the central Illinois. Um, his father was an alcoholic. It was on the heels of the Great Depression. And if you looked at the cards of life he had been dealt, you probably thought this poor kid will never amount to anything. But he was raised by a mother of incredible faith. You taught him to believe that anything was possible. And so that woman with great faith and grit, I believe, um, allowed him to become much more than the sum of his parts. And, you know, uh, he eventually left the Midwest, but I don't think the Midwest ever left him. And so it was easy for him to communicate from his heart to real Americans because he saw himself as just one of them. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, people, he never, yeah, he never forgot where he came from. And, and that, that guided him. And his faith was incredibly important to him. Well, and it's it, the, I mean, I, growing up watching, I, so my first foray in politics, really, Peggy, was in 1980. I was 10 years old. My mom sat me down and she said, I lived, I grew up in rural Arizona, a place called Sholo. And there was mostly Democrats, you know, these rural old-time FDR Democrats, and she sat me down and she said, call all these people, tell them to vote for Ronald Reagan. It was all the Republicans in Sholo. Took me about 20 minutes. Wild <laughs> labor back then, huh? <laughs> right. But then I started calling the Democrats in Sholo. And it really was a formative moment for me, that time in the 1980 uh, election, and then to see him get elected. I felt like it was a, I was a part of it, even though I probably wasn't. But then to watch him as president, as I was kind of growing up, mm-hmm. was really remarkable. And I'll never forget, um, the. I think one of the best speeches he ever gave was from the Oval Office, his, his farewell address. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just such a great speech, such a great warning, such a great message about it, you know, what he meant by a shining city on a hill. And yeah. he lived that. He lived it. And you got to see it, you know, up close and personal, which, again— remarkable <laughs> share with us some of like your some of the most stark memories you have of the president people coming to see him uh your interactions with world leaders and i mean he had a just a a line of people out the door almost daily just yeah, wanting, wanting to come see and, him you know Central plugging City. my book here the president will see you now absolutely uh, all of my stories are in here, or at least most of them, I guess. <laughs> the ones that didn't wind the, up. The on book the is fabulous. Book. I mean, it's be really, a great Christmas gift. It's a great exactly. Thank you. Well, what I tried to do in that was to do exactly what you've asked, and what so many people have asked is, what is what was he really like? What was it like to go to the office every day and know that Ronald Reagan was going to show up and be your boss, and you got to work with him every day? And so, what I tried to do in the book, and it's not a political book. It's not um, anything about his policies. It's really a character sketch of the man and a man that people on both sides of the political aisle admired and appreciated for his communication style and skill. And, and like I said, whether it was the head of state or just an ordinary patriotic American coming into the office, he treated everybody with respect. And of course, there were those pinch me moments, you know, without sounding like a name dropper, when Margaret Thatcher or Gorbachev or Mother Teresa or all the presidents would come in and I just, there were so many pinch me moments where I thought, is this really my life? Is this an incredible dream that I'm in the middle of? And if so, don't wake me up because I can't even imagine something so remarkable. But then there were, 
you can't even really call them ordinary days, but the regular rhythm of the office every day and getting a chance to see the way he interacted with people, to see how disciplined and hardworking he was behind the scenes and how much he worked on speeches and worked on remarks and edited and made changes and added his own touch onto things so that when he took the stage or met a group of people, he was prepared and could be relaxed and be very much in the moment. And I think people were, were surprised by the fact that he was so disciplined, he was so hardworking because we saw him as this gregarious, warm, interacting person. And he certainly was, but behind that, he had done a lot of preparation to lead up to that moment. And there were some incredible moments I write about, um, particularly in my book of, you know, a war hero coming in to meet President Reagan and asking to salute him, even though he wasn't the commander in chief anymore. And these two men saluting each other. There was a Romanian woman who came in very elderly and she'd written to the office and she walks in and she takes one look at him and she drops to his feet and starts sobbing and kissing his feet. And thanks him for her freedom and for the freedom of her people and her family. And you think of people all around the world, had they had their opportunity to trace the dots of their freedom or to bring their gratitude into him and to his office and to tell him face to face. Uh, there's many stories like that that echo, I think what a lot of us feel and would have wished to have said to him or have told him when, if we had had the chance to. And my own personal life, you know, from the moment I met him, embarrassingly so in the office, he walks toward me. I think I, they don't know what I'm doing there. I don't know what to do. So I think about what I would do out of respect if the flag were passing by and I stand up and I put my hand over my heart and I don't even look at him uh, <laughs> because I'm, I'm not sure what to do. Um, and then I write about, you know, my final goodbye at his bedside not long before he passed away. And I say the words that I think so many Americans would have said to him had they had those opportunities to just say, thank you, Mr. President. Thank you for your example, for your love of country, for your patriotism, for your faith, for being a man of principle who was unwavering, who was a champion for freedom, who shone that light, bright light of torch of freedom all around the world to places where oppression and darkness existed. Thank you. Thank you for being that and doing that on behalf of all of us. It's yeah, the most, the most consequential yeah. president, I, I believe, of the 20th century. Without question. And yet Without if you question. asked him, he just thought he was fulfilling the role that he had been put on here on earth to do. And if you were doing the role you had been called to do, then we were all equal. So he was a man of incredible humility. Well, and, and I think everyone since, I mean, and the Democrats won't, won't say this openly, but privately, they'll, they'll recognize that, you know, we're all living in Ronald Reagan's shadow. I mean, that, that shadow is just so huge and so overwhelming. And, and everyone, I mean, from Bill Clinton to Obama, and now, I don't even, I can't put Biden there, but you know, they, they, they've tried to, to, to build up to this idea that, you know, that Reagan you know, perpetuated in terms of love of country, faith, freedom, you know, and, and, and projecting a, a strength you know, across, across the world. And they, they, they fell short. Each time they would try to do that, they fell short because you can't, you can't replicate Ronald Reagan. You can't replicate what he brought to the office, what what his ideals were, with what his principles were, what what he was willing to do for the country, and you know even to admit his mistakes and fall on his sword for his subordinates, which he did. Yeah, and uh, and and admit those mistakes openly. And he was he was a one of a kind leader, and 
like I said, we're all he in was, the shadow. He set the bar high and we were so fortunate in our lifetime to have witnessed that. And, you know, I think we're all around the same age, you know, I'll wink and say I'm 39, but um, I, we're, <laughs> I, what we're exactly I call the Reagan same age, <laughs> you know, we, we're all the same age. I think we're what we call Reagan babies. And we grew up thinking that Reagan was how is that a t-shirt? Can we get that on? A we should do that. Yeah, we should yeah. get that. On a I wrote an op-ed called Reagan babies a couple years ago. Um, and so it, it's just this idea that we grew up thinking Reagan was what presidents were like. Exactly. We didn't really remember the ones before we hadn't yet experienced the ones yet to come. And Honestly, that gives me a lot of hope because as a lot of the baby boomers are leaving office, who do we have coming into positions of power? We have the Reagan babies. Right. We have people that know better, that hung Ronald Reagan on their wall right beside whatever pinup girl or guy they had. They were as much following and a fan of Ronald Reagan as they were of anything else. So we know how to do it right. We know how to do it better. We know that you can be strong and unapologetic and stand on your principles and be respected. We know what peace through strength truly means. And it's not just military might, but it's having economic fortitude and fortitude and strength of principles as well. And so we know those things. We know they work. We've seen how they play out on the world stage and we know that that works best. And so I am optimistic that we've got Reagan babies coming into leadership. We see them at the state level. We'll see them increasingly at the federal level. And I think we know how to do it right and better. And I think we will return to that core of Reagan, not as a blueprint. He never would have thought that exactly what he did was a template of how things should always be done. But those core principles that we are unapologetic about and are willing to take a stand on and fight for and preserve for the next generation. You know, he said that freedom's never more than one generation away from extinction. It's up to each one of us to preserve and protect it for the next generation. And are we doing that? And I really worry um, at times that we're not doing that fully. Yeah, well said. It is just a remarkable, I, and I totally agree with you. I think that we need to get beyond the boomers. We, we've had this conversation about how we need to get beyond this generation of presidents. I mean, we've had, you know, Clinton, Bush, Obama, Obama is just he's on the cusp, he's on the cusp and yeah. then back to Trump and now Biden. So, well, I, I, I think it's time for, I think what you're saying about Reagan babies is very interesting. Cause I think it's what makes thus those of us who, who consider, you know, Ronald Reagan, the, you know, the really the father of the modern conservative movement. And then you have, you know, people who, who were his foot soldiers and um, it what makes us so frustrated about not only the current president, but the, his predecessor, because we recognize, you know, intuitively and also through education and experience that gosh, Reagan wouldn't have done it that way. Reagan would never do that. Reagan would have never stood for that. And it goes through our, our mindset of principally what you said, you know, what a president should be of what a, a true leader of the greatest country on the face of the earth should be. And our filter is Ronald Reagan. And when we don't see it, when we see somebody flying in the face of those principles, those values and that faith, we get very angry. Yeah. 
Well, we as an American people say that that's what we want, but time and time again, we see that that's not what we're electing. So is it truly what we want? Because maybe we're getting what we deserve. We say we want civility. We say we want kindness. We say we want um, to work across the aisles. And yet that doesn't seem to be what gets rewarded in the public forum of voting. And so, you know, we really, as much as we need to hold our leadership accountable, we need to look to ourselves and to culture and society and say, are are we electing people that truly do reflect what we value? And time and time again, we're not seeing that. And, you know, Ronald Reagan always said it best. And you mentioned his leaving Oval Office speech. And I would say one of his final speeches um, that he gave after he left office really laid out exactly his vision for what politics and political engagement should be. And it was at the 1992 Houston National Republican Convention. And he basically told us, whatever else history may say about me when I'm gone, may it say that I appealed to your best hopes, mm -hmm. not to your worst fears, mm -hmm. to your confidence rather than your doubts. And if we look at what politics is today, what is it? It's division. It's leaning into fear. It's yep. creating doubt. And Reagan said the way to lead is by appealing to the best hopes and to the confidence of the American people and always believing that we the people tell the government what to do, not the other way around, and that we should trust we the people, um, not the establishment, to make decisions that are best for us. And we're seeing that fortunately happen a lot at some of these great state levels, and we hope that that will continue to percolate nationwide as well. Absolutely. Well, everyone always likes to you know, reference Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill, how they were able to get together and, and make things happen. But that took work. <laughs> That takes building relationships that took that wasn't easy for either one of them. And and they made it work because they they believed in what what was good for the country. But also and we've referenced it on this show as early as last week. You know, Reagan had the Reagan rule was the 80 20 rule. If I can get 80 percent of what I want, you tell them whatever they want on the 20 percent. Right. And we forget that all the time as as both leaders, conservatives, Republicans, whatever you want to call us. Yeah. I yeah. And we do a great job of saying, well, even amongst our own party members, you yeah. know, if you're 80 percent with me, but 20 percent against me, then forget it. We we have nothing in common. And, you know, we draw these hard, firm lines and the left is much better at being inclusive and supportive and defending each other. And mm -hmm. we go to the mat over that 20 percent or sometimes even five percent. And we really need to look at the big picture. Reagan wasn't compromising on principles. He said, I'll take 80 percent now and I'm going to go back for the other 20 exactly. percent. Um, but I'll take what I can get. And he did that. And, you know, his relationship with Tip O'Neill, it took a lot of humility on his part as well, because Tip O'Neill would go after him during mm -hmm. the day and in the media and all of that. And he was willing, though, to put that aside and actually still talk to him. I don't have this feeling that the left and the right even talk to each other. And unless you talk to each other, you can't know each other, understand each other, appreciate each other or work together. And, you know, some of the best relationships come from maybe sharing an outside interest in something that has nothing to do with politics. Maybe it comes from having kids or grandkids the same age or something that's 
unconnected to politics because when you get to know somebody as a person, you start to realize that they have value and there truly is more we have in common that divide it, divides us. And Reagan always believed, you know, there may be a hundred ways that we disagree, but there's always going to be one or two ways that we agree. So let's look for those. Let's find those, let's lean into those, and let's use those as the foundation for building a relationship moving forward rather than focusing on all the ways that we're different. Well, yeah. and, the, and the system that we have because of the tribalism that you describe is, is so dysfunctional. I mean, you, just, just after the midterms, and I heard this anecdotally yesterday while listening to something else, you, know, you have all these new members of Congress. They're all going back to Washington. They've been in Washington now for about three, four weeks. They're all home. And they've, you know, they get together with other other members of, of Congress, with with members of the opposite party, and they go through orientation, and then they're hustled into a room by their respective parties and told, told, oh yeah, the person that you were just sp speaking to, that's the enemy now. You have to go up against them, <laughs> and it's just the most dysfunctional thing in the world. Um, Justice uh, Sandra Day O'Connor has, has said in, in a couple uh, symposiums that I've seen her speak at, one of the biggest issues with Washington right now in terms of its complete and total dysfunction is that precisely what you just said, Peggy, is that people don't know each other. People don't live there anymore. And, and, and so you're not, as a Democrat, you're not coaching your Republican colleagues, you know, son's soccer team anymore. You're not coaching him in football anymore. That's the way Washington used to work. And there's right. got to be a way to try to get back to that sort of, you know, um, understanding, being able to understand one another Just and have, and have friend, real friendships and, and, yeah. and real alliances, or else we're going to be stuck in this just cycle of, of tribalism. Well, and hopefully, whether it's McCarthy or somebody else that takes over as leader in the new Congress, you know, he has said if he's leader, he will cancel the proxy voting. And so oh. even that just means they all have to be in the same building. Right. They have to sit down the aisle from each other. And so they're going to bump into each other or have to talk to each other. But COVID has given the perfect excuse for nobody to talk to anybody, nobody to see anybody, nobody to engage with each other. And so I think that that would be a really quick, immediate fix get rid of the proxy voting, make it them vote in person. And so at least they would have to ride the elevator together or um, bump into each other and have to have a conversation. What a novel yeah. idea. Right. Well, and it really does matter. I mean, I, I think about oh, put when, up the gallery. That would be great. Right. I mean, I think about when it's I was really on the, simple stuff. <laughs> right. I mean, down to really that seemed to have worked in the past. You know, when I was when, when I worked on the Hill, you know, there would be a Democrat member whose office was next to ours. And it, I mean, we developed friendships with the member and with the staff because you see them every single day and and those things are important i mean i think that interaction is well, important well back in the day and we're probably aging ourselves 20 years and we had uh, congressman biggs on last week but back in the day you couldn't get a bill introduced unless you had a co-sponsor from the other yeah. party yeah now it's just whatever the leadership's priorities is that's what gets you know that's what gets yeah. through yeah Peggy, it yeah. has been an absolute pleasure to have you. And I will strongly encourage our listeners to buy your book because I think that it is exactly the kind of thing we need at this moment. So it's it's perfect timing to talk about this right now yeah. because the president I think we need to remember. I think we need to remember the kind of person that he was and what we can aspire to as we look at our next generation of leaders. Yeah, absolutely. 
It's Thank definitely a feel-good read. It's patriotic. It'll make you laugh. It will make you cry. It will make you remember a time that we all long for again. And it's interesting because I, I travel and speak quite a bit and speak about the book and about my experiences with Reagan. And inevitably, I look out in the crowd and I will see people you know, with tears streaming down their face as I'm speaking. And at first, when I started speaking, I thought, oh my gosh, why are all these people crying? But I realized that, yes, we miss Reagan, but we also miss who we were as Americans when he was president. We miss that feeling Absolutely. of being strong on the world stage, of shining that light of freedom all around the world, of being in a position of strength that we could help the weak. A strong America makes for a stronger and safer world. When there's a vacuum of power, we see bullies, and we're seeing it now, rise up all over the world to step into that void of power. And so a strong America makes for a safer America and a safer world. And so I think those tears that people shed are not just because we miss Reagan, but we miss that feeling of who we were when he was president. And we all are part of making that happen again in the future of America. We all hold one little piece of Reagan in us that we can put together in a beautiful mosaic that continues to be America and the American experience. And only in America can we tell these stories again and again and create that shining city on the hill that he um, so beautifully articulated that we all are part of and are responsible for um, facilitating moving forward. Yeah. Well, that is a perfect, perfect way, way of, wrap of wrapping this up. <laughs> and, and, and next time you're speaking in the uh, Valley of the Sun, you have to come by and, and see us live. Terrific. Absolutely. I would love to do that. Great to have Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on today. Thank you for all that you continue to do to advance faith and freedom and uh, to be a voice for those of us who uh, share your principles and your values. And so thank you for doing that in the way that you do. Well, we're You're appreciative back. of you too. So thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Peggy. Good to see thank you. you. Thanks, Thanks for listening. God Take bless. Care.